For all of Gabriel's show dates and ticket links go to gabrielrutledge.com. Or don't. If you would like to support this podcast by subscribing for $5 a month, click the Substack link in the episode notes. You won't get any extra episodes, but Gabriel will think warm thoughts about you. And now it's time for the drive home with Gabriel Rutledge. Play the royalty-free hip-hop music. Now here's your host, Gabriel. Holy shit, it's time to podcast. Just working on some uh, new intros for the show. TikTok, it's podcast o'clock. Keep working on it. I can see my reflection in the rearview mirror. Uh, and I can see a zit on my forehead that will be my travel companion as I drive home from Bellingham, Washington right now. Oh, zits. You know what? When I'm done with puberty, I'm going to be gorgeous. When I was a little chubby in high school, uh, my dad used to say I would thin out after I went through puberty. Uh, he was wrong, because after high school was the least thinned out period of my life. As I crammed Wendy's, McDonald's, Taco Bell, and Arby's into my mouth multiple times per day. I was like, you're wrong, Dad. I didn't thin out. Look at me now. (laughs) Still not thinned out. But you know what? Pretty good for me. This is a pretty good size for Gabriel Relish that I'm rocking right now. Just stopped at an AM, PM. Burlington, Washington, where I got to witness the fentanyl problem firsthand, Uh, but also, you know, got some meat sticks and some water. Is that a healthy choice? I mean, I don't know. If you're not eating sugar, you got to eat salt and meats. I think that's science. private show once for the uh, the meat sticks I got were the Oberto Meat Company. Oh boy, Oberto. I don't know. That might be a Northwest thing. I don't know if that's a national company or not. But uh, Oberto is a well-known dried meats maker. Uh, I did a show at their house once. I don't know whose house it was, but it was one of the Oberto houses. And the guy who got me the show, the other comedian who got me the show, has brain damage. And that's not an insult. He literally has brain damage. I don't know how they picked him to do the show. Uh, I know they didn't give him a big budget because I... 
you know, I saw them pay him and then him pay me. But it was wild. Like, it should have paid a lot. We were in the backyard of the Oberto, not mansion, but really nice house in the Seattle area. Kids swimming in the pool. There was like a band of the dads, and I think a few of the moms too, that played. But it was like, you know, when you're watching a band and the, the you know, the bass player's got docker shorts and a golf polo on. Sunglasses on top of his head. Everybody's working for the weekend. It was that kind of rock band. And then they did comedy. Like while kids are jumping around in the pool. And I did clean jokes, but uh, believe it or not, the guy with brain damage did not. And it was quite hilarious. Anyway, I think I got $300, $250 for that show all those years ago, and uh, they got four of it back tonight, the Alberto family, because I bought their product at a Burlington AMPM. Well, the guy was barking over by the coffee machine. <laughs> Did a show in Bellingham. It's not important where. I don't want to bitch. You guys, you know me. Just Mr. Sunshine, they call me. Positive Pete. Sweet Meat Pete. <laughs> no one calls me any of those things. Uh... Look, I do a fair amount of comedy shows in very nice comedy clubs, showrooms, casinos, occasionally theaters, some beautiful rooms. I also do a fair amount of comedy in places that are not specifically designed for comedy, but they have comedy. Like uh, tonight I was at a, I don't know what you call it, a... Uh, a brewery? Yeah, like a microbrewery. And it just, it drives me fucking crazy. The show was fine. The show was good. Uh, you know, 30-something people, which was not a sellout. I'll be honest, I didn't really promote the show that much myself. Not a door deal. But, uh, they've been doing comedy there a long time. Years. And there's like not really a light. There's no spotlight. And not only is there no spotlight, but the stage is literally the darkest part of the room. And you might not think that's important. But it's one of the very few things you need to make a good comedy show. Sound, lights, and an audience. And it's like, I get it if it was the first time. Well, you know what? I think we need to get a spotlight, or I think we need to maybe leave the front lights on, or we need to... We just started comedy here. We're working the kinks out. This fucking thing's five years in. 
and it's darker than a divorced man's heart up on stage. I mean, I have done a lot of shows where uh, the darkest part of the room is the stage. This is not. Watching a comedy album. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking sun's still out. <laughs> I'm in total darkness. I don't understand what's happening right now. Buy your fucking light! Anyway, it was a good show. I did a show last night in Spanaway, Washington. Uh, better lighting. Someone after that show, uh, it was a great show, by the way. Great spot. Um, yeah, I did get a standing ovation. Thanks for asking. I normally don't talk about things like that, but since you brought it up, yeah, I did get a full room standing ovation. Uh, great show. After the show, someone came up to talk to me bought a shirt, said they saw me in Las Vegas, and uh, the story she had was they, she was there with some of her friends, and they went to the Comedy Cellar, where me and some other comics were performing, and her friend <laughs> all day had been saying, you guys, Gabriel Rutledge is going to be the best comedian there, I know him, he's hilarious, and they're like, oh, okay, great, and then when they got to the showroom, the friend admitted, I have no idea who Gabriel Rutledge is. I just made it up. And then I performed, and they did like me. And uh, so for the rest of the vacation, and I guess still now, after the vacation, uh, when they communicate, I'm like the inside joke. And they're, you know, like, cheers to our good friend Gabriel Rutledge. And you know what? That kind of shit's cool. It's cool to be a part of the... You know, I just say some jokes. You know, guys, I spread joy to the world. I say uh, I say my little make-em-ups. I say my little uh, knock-knocks. I got my little punchlines. I got my little gags. But the sort of ripple effect of, like, how sometimes if they were at a show or even if they just saw a video and it becomes a family joke or if I'm have a show about bird watching, they send it to the friend who likes birds, and like, all that shit is so fucking cool. It's cool to be a little bit of a part of people's lives I don't even know, or if they tell me, then I do them know a little bit, but... And also, it's positive, right? Like, there's ripple effects that are negative. You know, I bet the Oberto Meat family never had another comedian at their house because of the ripple effect of the negative show that we did. Next year at the family barbecue, they canceled comedy and they said, let's just play more songs. Wheel in the sky keeps on turning. Uh-oh, button on the polo got loosened. They're really cutting loose tonight. This guy's got no socks and shoes on. 
He's a wild card. But anyway, it's cool. It's cool to be a part of people's... In, when my jokes become their inside jokes or the experiences they had at one of my shows becomes a part of a family's history and lore. And uh, that's cool. That's awesome. I also, I was laughing because, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's no way to say this without sounding shitty, but I get recognized quite a bit. Uh, you know, when we go, I go places in the world, often there's someone who's seen me do comedy or they know me from the internet or whatever, which is fun because I'm not famous enough that it's annoying. I'm not, it's not, uh, <laughs> It's never like, please, not while I'm eating. You know, it's... And also, it's not... Sometimes they don't know me. Yes, they know I'm a comedian, but like... Hey, I think you did my company's... Christmas party three years ago. You know, not the kind of shit that uh, Kevin Hart gets stopped for. Kevin Hart gets, I loved you in Jumanji... I get, uh, you ruined my family's barbecue. But I was at a Tacoma Rainiers game, which is a, uh, the Seattle Mariners AAA team, Tacoma, Washington. My family went, uh, <laughs> when I walked in, there was a guy, and he goes, hey. He just kind of points at me, and he goes, and then quietly he goes, I know who you are. And then he, like, put up the finger to the mouth like it was a shh secret. And he goes, don't worry, I won't say. And that made me laugh so hard. Because it's like... Do you think if you let out the truth that Gabriel Rutledge was at the Rainiers game, there would be a fucking riot or something? You could announce on the speaker Gabriel Rutledge was at the Rainiers game. And it's just going to be you and my family who know what the fuck they're talking about. I thought that was hilarious. But the guy was like, I know you're a comedian, but your secret's safe with me. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just trying to live a normal life. Tighter signing, signing autographs at minor league baseball games. The gig I got in, uh, man, by the way, Giant Moon tonight. Uh, I don't know what that means. Maybe it means the emergency room is full. I don't know. Maybe it means your period just started. I don't know. The moon does some wacky things. But the way I got that Spanaway gig was kind of funny because, uh, this guy I've known for, you know, I've been doing comedy 22 years, and he was literally at the first open mic I did at the Seattle Comedy Underground. Uh, this guy, Travis Simmons, and I, I guess he, like, runs this room in Spanaway, but the reason I started talking to him, and the reason he offered me the gig is because he sent me a message and I hadn't heard from him in years. <laughs> and he goes, hey, 
I heard I'm in your book. Which is true. I did not use his last name. I'm telling it to you now. But I did not use his last name in the book. But my book, Happiness Isn't Funny, True Stories of a Road Comic, available on Amazon.com. 61 reviews, four and a half stars. Am I bitter that it was five stars until about a year ago? Yeah, a little bit, but it's still good reviews. You know what bothers me is like, about those reviews, is somewhat like, maybe the most glowing review on there, as far as the words, gave me four stars. I'm like, I'd rather you just said, meh, and gave me five stars, than write this amazing review and give me four. Anyway. That book came out in 2014. I did mention Travis in the book on a couple of pages. Uh, maybe, if I have time, I will read those pages to you from the book. I'm not going to do it here in the car. I'm already eating meat sticks. It's, I can't add reading a book to the schedule, but... Maybe I won't have time to read the pages. So Travis sends me this message. He's like, I heard him in your book, and I heard I really annoyed you. And I said, I was like, you are in the book. And I did, I was lightheartedly pointing out some things that like, you know, you're always on. You're always telling jokes to people, and that's like not my personality. But there's no anger in the book. I was never like, fuck Travis. He's the worst. I actually said, I wish I was kind of more like Travis in some ways. He doesn't put so many uh, limitations on being funny for a comedy audience. His audience is wherever he goes. And so I said, no, I'm not. There's no animosity. There's no grudge. There's no... Honestly, he should be mad at me. I'm the one who wrote about him in a book. Also, in the book, I said we did a show where I couldn't follow him. So, that you know, anyway. So, I say, hey, man, there's no beef. You got nothing to worry about here. Also, this book came out nine years ago. And then he goes, hey, I'm running a room in Spanaway. You want to come do it? That's how I got the gig. And here's what's hilarious. I'm talking to Travis. And uh, we were talking about COVID. And, you know, i not doing comedy shows. Or doing them on Zoom or whatever. All that bullshit we were doing. I don't know what Travis was doing. Well, I do know. Because he told me. He said he was delivering DoorDash. But he was like, I was getting 15, 20 sets in a day. Because I would deliver food to people's house and do comedy for them while their food got cold. He said he would dress like Darth Vader and like talk like James Earl Jones and do Star Wars jokes and he'd do Red Fox jokes for people. And I was just laughing. 
Well, he was laughing. But I was laughing too, because I'm like, this is the shit that I'm talking about in the book. You're crazy. I mean, COVID's already a weird enough time. Imagine late March 2020. You get a cheeseburger and french fries delivered to your house. But before the guy drops it off, a six foot nine man in a Darth Vader costume (laughs) is like, Luke, I am your father. Like, what? Bro, just leave the bag and back away. Oh, what a nut. 22 years I've known Travis. That's what's so weird about comedy that it's like, I don't really know him. I just, I used to see him a fair amount. I hadn't seen him in years. There's a bunch of people I only see occasionally, but it's like, so it's not close relationships, but it's also like, man, I've known a lot of people for a long time. Here's an old man comedy story. Not really a story, but I, you know, I, uh, you know, on this trip, after my show in Bellingham, I called my wife. Uh, I was talking, you know, on the phone that is in the car now. You know what I mean? I'm hearing her through the Bluetooth speakers. As I drive home from Bellingham, I have a very vivid memory of doing a comedy show in Bellingham in 2002 because I was in the Seattle International Comedy Competition. Yeah, I did win that competition in 2004. I usually don't mention that, but since you brought it up. Uh, But in 2002, I did it, and I ended up getting sixth place. And I was disappointed at the time because going into the last night of the semifinals, top five move on to the finals, going into the last night of the semifinals, I was in fourth place. The show was in Bellingham. Uh, I performed after the show. I was in sixth place overall, did not make the finals. And I, before I left town, I stopped at a gas station, used a payphone to call my wife and tell her the bad news that I did not make the finals. I'm driving home. I'll see you in two and a half hours. I got sixth place. I didn't make it. Blah, blah, blah. 20 years later, a lot of shit has changed. No one's making phone calls on payphones anymore. From payphones to Bluetooth, the Gabriel Rutledge story. I guess the only thing that hasn't changed is I'm still leaving Bellingham slightly disappointed. I've been consistent with that. you guys probably tune into this uh, podcast to hear a white man talk about race, but uh, one of the good things about that Spanaway show was like a little more racially diverse than some of the shows I do. Although, I guess I'm just talking about black and white people. Uh, But really, I feel like comedy shows are sort of uh, in the way that we say like you know, you'll hear a politician like, diversity is our strength about America. And you're like, is it? Not like in a racist way, but it like sometimes you're like, it doesn't seem to be our strength. It seems to be we're not all united and we're not all making each other better. But I feel like 
oddly, the American dream lives on in a comedy audience. Because the more diverse the audience is, the better the show is. And I don't know why that is. But it, I don't know. It just is. Sometimes I think, not in my act, but sometimes I think it's better because like if, if, if you're talking about race in your act, which I don't think I have any jokes that mention race, uh, but if you are, well, it's better to be talking about race in front of people of that race or different races. I think that's part of a reason a diverse crowd is a better crowd. Maybe there's just something psychologically that feels good to an audience to see people that don't look like you enjoying the thing you're enjoying. Maybe there's a psychological benefit to that. Maybe that's what makes it so great. Maybe specifically black audiences have a certain enthusiasm for a performance they like that quite frankly, frankly white people don't give. Maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because I'm white. And when people who aren't white like me, it feels better. I don't know. Comedy. Diversity is our strength. I think about that when I when I work uh, Brad Garrett's Comedy Club because Brad Garrett... Uh, who hosts the shows when he's there. Everybody loves Raymond. That's my Brad Garrett impression. Uh, he talks a lot about race in sort of a Don Rickles, roast the crowd, audience interaction kind of way. And... Man, that audience leaves feeling connected. He says things that, like, out of context or in a tweet or in print look, frankly, offensive. But when people go to a comedy show where uh, someone is making fun of himself for being Jewish, he's making fun of Mexican people lightheartedly, black people lightheartedly, Asian people lightheartedly, you kind of leave with a much more sense of community than you came in with when you never address it. And that look, that's certain, I'm, I'm certainly not doing that uh, in my act. I've never peeked through the curtain and looked out at the crowd and been like, oh good, there's a Mexican couple up front. That gives me 10 minutes of material. That's just not me. It's not what I'm, you know. But, comedy really does bring people together. At least in span away. I feel very vulnerable right now. Does anyone have a safe word they want to share with me first? Red. Red? Okay, that works. What was that one? Stop. Also. Stop. 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 <laughs> what was that? Really? Really? No. Really? If I, if I heard, if I heard my wife go, really? I'd be like, there's plenty more of that bucket. 
There's, by the way, there's not plenty more. It's always a rough moment when a woman's like, give it all to me. I'm like, from fucking where? Get that thing in your drawer out, because I'm fucking tapped out, right? a lot of deaf comedy jam when I first got cable. I mean, and you would see audiences, those audiences, I mean, if they didn't like them, they would boo. But, like, if a comedian was killing, I mean, they would, the audience is running around and jumping out of their seats and, like, I'm sorry, the best show a white comedian has ever had in front of white people. No one jumps out of their chair and runs around. Black audiences are the fucking best. I don't know why. Take it up with Jesus. I'm just reporting. And I'm allowed to talk about race because I am less than 1% Native American. I drive a Korean car. Why am I talking about race? Good God. Today's reading will be from the book Happiness Isn't Funny, True Stories of a Road Comic, written by Gabriel Rutledge, read by Gabriel Rutledge. That's me. Sunday, January 30th, 2011, San Diego, California. I hate to bitch because I know that for almost every day of my life, it has probably been an advantage to be white, but today was not one of those days. The cancer benefit was at a swanky jazz club here in San Diego, and all of the 40 or so audience members were black. I didn't want that to matter, but it did. The other two comedians were black too. The MC did all right, and then Travis, a comedian I know from Seattle, went up and destroyed and even got a partial standing ovation. I got one too, but it was mostly out of obligation. Travis does Red Fox, Bill Cosby, and Louis Armstrong impressions, so 35 to 60-year-old black people at a jazz club is probably the perfect demographic for him, and he killed. The only impression I do is of Grover from Sesame Street, so 35 to 60-year-old black people in a jazz club turns out to not be my perfect demographic. The crowd reaction was mediocre. And mediocre after the guy before you was awesome kind of makes mediocre bad. It was a cancer benefit, so I didn't want to be rude and leave right away. Instead, I hung out long enough to overhear a woman say to Travis, You were the shit, but that white boy was kind of weak. Yeah, it feels good to give back. Tuesday, February 1st, 2011. Home. I flew home today with Travis. Sweet Jesus, what a long trip. We are both comics, but we could not be more different. And not just because he's a 6 foot 9 inch, 300 pound black man with dreadlocks and I am me. Sometimes I don't even tell people I'm a comedian if they ask what I do for a living. Travis doesn't give people a chance to ask what he does for a living. He just announces to strangers that he is a comedian and immediately launches into his material while I cringe next to him. 
He did some Red Fox jokes for the airport security workers. He did some Bill Cosby in the bathroom. And he did five minutes while we boarded the plane. Five minutes that included sex and pot jokes, much to the discomfort of the parents with small children in line with us. I was so uncomfortable that I actually walked away so people wouldn't think I knew him. If I got a call from a booker and they said, I got a gig for you. It's at the airport and they want you to tell jokes on the jetway while people board the plane. I would tell that booker that was probably the worst idea I had ever heard and that unless it paid an astronomical amount of money, there was no way in hell I would do it. Then he would tell me it paid 300 bucks and I would say yes. But the point is, it would be a beyond awful experience to me. To Travis, it seemed like such a great idea that he did it for free. Part of me is envious of Travis. He loves telling jokes and getting attention for being a comedian, and he doesn't care where he does it. The other part of me thinks he is mentally ill, and the only difference between Travis and a rambling, schizophrenic homeless man is that Travis has punchlines. When we were on the plane, I suggested to Travis that maybe he should not tell the poor woman sitting next to us every joke he'd ever written, and I admitted to him that I don't really like telling people I'm a comedian. He said, why not? Then loud enough that most of the plane could hear, he announced, Ladies and gentlemen, we have a famous comedian on the plane today from Comedy Central, Gabriel Rutledge. Most people looked confused, and a few clapped. Kind of like my show yesterday. I should talk about strippers more. Uh, last week I mentioned my wife and I went to a strip club, and then I forgot. I said, oh, I've been to a strip cl- a cl- club a handful of times. I was thinking of uh, a couple times in... Uh, Billings, Montana, a time in Minot, North Dakota, a time in Portland, Oregon. I guess I added a time in Las Vegas uh, with my wife, but I forgot about one time in Albuquerque. And that one was very weird because uh, it was another comedian's birthday, and he was there with his girlfriend. In fact, his girlfriend was in the comedy condo with us. Which is, uh, it was memorable because she walked around naked the whole time. Which is kind of a weird move. I mean, you'd think I would appreciate it, but it was also like, fuck, I don't, this is uncomfortable. She'd just be like, hey, good morning. And then the other comic would kind of look at me like, huh, look at that. That's how fun I am. And I'm like, I, oh, okay. It was a little awkward. It was a little uncomfortable. To try and main eye, to try and maintain eye contact with the other comedian's girlfriend. But she wanted to go to a strip club. I think it was his birthday or her birthday or who knows. And uh, the other comic bought me a lap dance at that club in Albuquerque. But here, here's the problem. There's no, like, private room. There was no, like, oh, we're going to go back here. It was just, like, in front of everyone. Well, that's awkward. That's awkward to, like, just have a woman grinding on you in front of other people. The guy who bought the lap dance is staring at me. While a stripper's like grinding on my lap and he's looking like, huh, you like that? I got that for you. You like that? Do you have a boner? How's it going over there? And I'm like, this, please look away. 
Couldn't we have had your girlfriend do this back at the condo? I think that was also the same night we uh, paid a taxi to uh, take us through the Wendy's drive-thru. Because they wouldn't let us walk through. Oh, the times we had. I remember, I think the other person in the condo, if I recall, was like very religious too. It was like a youngish kid who was like very religious. And it's just like, he doesn't want to look at boobs. Well, of course he wants to look at boobs, but it makes him confused. Tell your girlfriend to put a fucking shirt on. And pants. Maybe both. Or one or the other. I feel like a woman can look sexy in any... In anything. Really. Like, let's say, you know, a naked woman just wearing socks. Sexy. Naked man just wearing socks. No. Woman who's only wearing a shirt. Just a shirt. Nothing on the bottom. Sexy. Man wearing a shirt. Nothing on the bottom. Donald Duck. Woman wearing a giant coat. But naked underneath. Hot. Man wearing a giant coat. But naked underneath. Arrested. You see what I'm saying? Women have more options. I will say, I don't understand going to strip clubs all the time. That seems like a problem. Even financially. Strip club is one of those activities where it's like, you know... You want to go to the strip club? Well, that sounds fun. That sounds uh, like an adventurous, naughty thing to do. Hey, you want to go to the strip club seven nights in a row? No! Who the fuck would do that? You have a problem. I mean, I don't know what the number is. Well, you know, someone who's like, I go, I go to a strip club a handful of times a year. Compared to, I go to a strip club probably three, four nights a week. You're like, oh, Jesus. Oh, fuck, I went to a strip club in Salt Lake City, too. I have a problem. I'm the guy. Am I the strip club guy? No, I don't even think, I haven't hit double digits in my life. The Salt Lake City Strip Club was as weird as you would think a Salt Lake Strip Club would be. It might be different now. I think they have a little looser rules. But at that time, the Strip Club was no nudity. Forget full nudity. The Salt Lake City Strip Club was like, uh, you know, like G-string on the bottom. And then like uh, pasties on their nipples. 
And then they would dance around to uh, Christian rock. No, that's not true. They would dance around. It was also very well lit for a strip club. Very, like, not dark and seedy. Like, it needed to be darker and seedier. And the guy I went with, I won't say his name, but, like, I think he was a dude who went too often. Because he walked in and the dancers were like, Hey, Jim, how are you? Like, oh my god. You've given them enough money, they pretend like they like you when you walk through the door? Jim, if that's your real name. So anyway, they would dance. No one's no one's tipping, no one's allowed to like throw money while the people are dancing. Also, I don't even remember a pole, but maybe there was a pole. So they would dance, the dancers, at the dance slash strip club. And then they would take a little bucket and they would walk around the crowd with their bucket. And you would put like a couple of dollars in the bucket. That's how Mormon this strip club was. They took an offering. They passed the offering plate around. And you really felt like an asshole if you didn't put money in the bucket. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, shit. Yeah, here you go. I'm not going to be the one who doesn't give cinnamon a couple of bucks. And this was the most awkward part. I mean, granted, they were just on stage squeezing their boobs together or whatever. But if you gave them money, they would kiss you on the cheek. It was so fucking weird. Like, thank you for showing me your almost naked body. Here's four dollars. And then they would peck you on the cheek like your grandma. Mormons. What's going on down there? Not that any Mormons were currently active Mormons were at that club, obviously. But I don't know. Maybe it's still like that. I don't know. I know a lot of their liquor laws have changed. They used to used to have to be like a private member of a bar just to go to a bar, and if you. I mean, you could sign up at the door to be a private member, but it was very weird. And like, they had to. There was all kinds of weird things. Like, I mean, the beer was weaker. Uh, the shots were smaller, and there was some weird thing. Like, you, they couldn't mix the alcohol in front of you. They had to like do it behind. It's very weird. Lots of weird things. But I think some of that's gone away. You don't have to be a private member anymore. Uh, so maybe their strip clubs are a little more strippy now. I don't know. Also, after we left that strip club. Jim and I were in his car. Uh, and, uh. We were at a, you know, stopped on a freeway exit or at a red light or whatever. And a car 
came screaming past us at like a thousand miles an hour, went flying through the red light intersection and slammed into like a storage unit that was across the street. And we were like, holy shit. And then we hear sirens in the background. And then the light turns green. And then Jim, if that's his real name, drives into the storage unit where the car crashed. And the people got out of the car and ran. And he was like driving in the storage unit looking around. And I'm like, clearly the cops are coming. Clearly these people were running from the cops. What the fuck are we doing in here? They're going to think we're a part of this. And then he was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. And then we drove away. Anyway, big night. I followed a fugitive into a storage unit. And I got kissed on the cheek. By an almost naked former Mormon. That should have been the name of the strip club. Former Mormon. Or former Mormon. What do they call a lapsed Mormon? I think there's a term, like a Jack Mormon, they call it. More like a Jack and a Coke Mormon. term for like lapsed Catholic too. It's called uh, Catholic. Alright. I think we're going to call that a podcast. I uh, I have some regrets. You know? But we're still going to call it a podcast. America on this podcast diversity is our strength bye